I love Christmas lights. And when my wife and I, when we were dating, we would go out with friends to, to look at Christmas lights when we were in Louisville. Fun memories and, and memories which we've attempted to continue with our, with our children. And we love to look at lights. And we'll travel throughout our region during the season looking at lights, lights which point to elements of the season. Well, the purpose and the power of prophecy, it's a reminder that, that Christ's coming was revealed by God through His Word to His prophets hundreds of years before He was born. Not unlike this time of the year when we want to go and look at lights which remind us of the season, but this morning we will be in a sense looking at lights along the way in Scripture. And we will look at some prophetic Scriptures which point to the advent, the coming of Messiah. Isaiah chapter 7 is where we will begin. Chapter 7 verse 14. Therefore, the Lord Himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and she will name him Emmanuel. And that word for sign in the Old Testament, it's exactly that. It's an omen promised by a prophet as a pledge of a certain predicted event. The virgin will conceive. She will be pregnant. She will give birth to a son. And she will... She will call him, she will name him, she will proclaim him, she will preach him, Emmanuel. Meaning, with us is God. The last part of that word Emmanuel, the L, the E-L, that, that means the one, the only true God of Israel. The Lord himself we read, will give the sign. The Lord Himself will give this sign to His people. No one else can give this sign. No one else can give this hope. Only one can give this promise as a pledge of what is to come. The Lord Himself. The Lord will give Himself to His people. The virgin will conceive. And We've seen some pretty miraculous births before throughout the Old Testament. We, we've seen where a child was born to a, to a woman who was declared infertile or barren. Think about Abraham and Sarah and little Isaac in the book of Genesis. God's promise that old Abraham through barren Sarah would father a nation. And this promise that, that we see in Isaiah begins to be fulfilled in Abraham and Sarah. Think about another situation. Elkanah and Hannah in the book of 1 Samuel. You may remember the story when, when Hannah, she's, she's barren, she's infertile, and in her prayers she, she makes a vow. She says, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life, and no razor will ever be used on his head. And the priest Eli answers Hannah. He says, Go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. And little Samuel is born. 
little Samuel who, who grows up to be the prophet who anoints the shepherd boy David who would become king of Israel. So we've seen some pretty miraculous births before, but we've not seen one like this. Isaiah reveals this prophecy, and this prophecy actually echoes what we first see at the very beginning of the book in Genesis. Genesis chapter 3, the beginning of the story of salvation. In the Garden of Eden, as we well know, the serpent tempts Eve, and, and she and Adam, they eat the forbidden fruit, they bring sin into the world, and the Lord who created them to dwell with them, who had, has spent time with them in the garden in the cool of the day, he comes to the garden and he, you know the story, he finds out that sin has entered into the world and the Lord has to, to mete out punishment. And he says to the serpent in, in chapter 3 verse 15, he says, I will make enemies of you and the woman and of your offspring and her descendant. He shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. This woman, her descendant, God with us. What does this mean and why does it matter? Well, in the time of Isaiah, these are dark days for Israel. Actually, it's not just Israel. Judah and Israel, the kingdom has been divided. A people, a nation established as one who was originally to be set apart by a unique relationship with the one and only God of Israel. This people, this nation suffers from sin. Suffers from a nationwide, people-wide infection of sin. This people... This nation, she, she suffers from division. She's two kingdoms. She suffers because she's turned from the things of God. She deals with anguish. She is a nation in gloom. She is a nation in need of the promise that God is with them. We are not that much different today, are we? I want you to look at another set of lights... In Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9 verse 1. But there will be no more gloom for her who is in anguish. Ooh, that's good news, isn't it? In earlier times, he treated the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali with contempt. There's going to be no more gloom, no more distress, no more gloom for the one who is in bondage. And in the past, the Lord humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But later on, he will make it glorious. By way of the sea on the other side of the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. What does this mean and why does it matter? Well, in Matthew chapter 4, we read that Jesus went to Galilee. He leaves Nazareth and Jesus comes and he settles in an area called Capernaum, which is by the sea in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali. And then Matthew tells us, in verse 14 of chapter 4, he says, This was to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet in Isaiah chapter 9. The land of Zebulun, the, the prophecy, prophecy is restated, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali by the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. And then Matthew We'll state a little bit further what Isaiah says. The people who were sitting in darkness 
saw a great light, and those who were sitting in the land in the shadow of death, upon them a light dawned. So this light dawns on Zebulun and Naphtali. What does that mean? Well, we've just had a family holiday with Thanksgiving. And we come together and we think about past times. We think about parents and grandparents and loved ones. And, and this verse is about a family inheritance. Like when my grandmother gave me my granddaddy's guitars. After the exodus, after the wilderness, the 12 tribes, they've crossed over into the promised land. And in the book of Joshua, chapter 18, this is what we see. The whole congregation of the sons of Israel, that's the whole mess of them, the whole lot, the cousins and everyone, they've assembled themselves in Shiloh, and they've set up the tent of meeting, their, their tabernacle. What happens, we find out, seven tribes have not divided up their inheritance. And so Joshua says to the entire clan, he says, How long will you put off entering to take possession of the land which the Lord, the God of your fathers, has given you? And so in the next chapter, in Joshua 19, these portions are, are, are divided and are assigned. And the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali are given. And these are part of the promise given to these two, two of the twelve tribes. These two tribes are named Zebulun and Naphtali, two of the sons of Jacob. Why is it significant? Well, Zebulun and Naphtali, they make up a large portion of the area which later becomes Galilee. And Isaiah points to not only where, but also the time frame of the Messiah. How will the Lord, we see this question of, He will make it glorious, this statement. So how the question is, how will the Lord make this glorious? How will the Lord free the land from gloom and, and bondage and constraint? Jesus would grow up and live in Nazareth in Galilee, which is the land of Zebulun. Jesus would first come forward to teach in the synagogue in Nazareth. Jesus would perform his first miracle at a wedding in Cana, yes, in Galilee. Jesus would settle in Capernaum, which is by the Sea of Galilee, in this region of Zebulun and Naphtali. Jesus would begin his ministry. He would begin to call his disciples. And in this land of the shadow of death, Jesus would preach that the glorious kingdom of heaven has come near. We see that the light of salvation has dawned upon them. And Isaiah says there in, in, in chapter 9, verse 1, that later on that the Lord will make it glorious by the way of the sea on the other side of the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The way of the sea, the, the Sea of Tiberias, the, also known as the Sea of Galilee, where Jesus' glory will be shown. On the other side of the Jordan, where Jesus will do miraculous things. He will feed the 5,000. Where Jesus' glory will be shown on the Mount of Transfiguration. I would say that would make it glorious. <laughs> and Galilee, claimed by the Israelites, but inhabited by non-Jewish residents, Gentiles. Galilee of the Gentiles. And, and this is why Isaiah can say in chapter 9, verse 2, 
the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. Look down at the lights down the road, just just a piece, down at verse 6. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. What does it mean and why does it matter? For a child will be born, uh, born to us, a son will be given to us, for us. We will see that one in fact, will be given, given not just to us, but given for us. The Lamb of God will be given for us. The government will rest on His shoulders. <laughs> the government will rest on His shoulders. And, and aren't we glad that the Lord rules and reigns? Paul will tell us in Colossians chapter 1, he will say that for by Him, Jesus, all things were created both in the heavens and on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And that's (laughs) the kind of news that sounds good in these days, doesn't it? That the government rests upon His shoulders. And His name will be called. His name, His name. We see throughout Scripture that there is power in the name. God's name carries weight. We've seen in as far back as Exodus chapter 3 when the Lord tells His name to Moses, I am. And these names which Isaiah points to wonderful counselor, miraculous, marvelous wisdom of God, the Word who will become flesh, mighty God, a powerful name for God. In the original language, that name El, which we saw in Emmanuel, we've heard the word perhaps Elohim, and that can mean representatives of God, but El means absolute deity. Mighty God. Eternal Father, the only place in Scripture where the word is written this way in the original language. And in in essence, it means Father of forever. Think about that. Father of forever. From old and forever. Scriptures like this make my spine tingle. (laughs) where we are reminded of the vastness of God. Prince of Peace, Sar Shalom, ruler, chief, prince, and all will be at rest. That word shalom can also mean it is well. What does it mean and why does it matter? Aren't we glad He's for us? One more set of lights I want us to see this morning. And we're going to go back a little further to the fourth book in the Bible, the book of Numbers. The book of Numbers. I'm going to ask you to turn to Numbers chapter 24. 
The story kind of begins in Numbers chapter 22. The, the, the Israelites, they're, they're camping in the plains of Moab beyond the Jordan opposite Jericho. And, and Balak, the king of Moab, pagan king, he's afraid of the Israelites. And he calls for a prophet to call down a curse on Israel. And the prophet's name is Balaam. And the king says, Behold, a people came out of Egypt. Behold, they cover the surface of the land, and they are living opposite me. Now, therefore, please come, curse this people for me, since they are too mighty for me. Perhaps I may be able to defeat them and drive them out of the land, for I know that he whom you bless is blessed, and he whom you curse is cursed. And, and then Balaam the prophet tells this king, he says, What the Lord speaks... I will speak. And Balaam sees that it pleases the Lord to bless Israel. Not to curse them, but to bless them. In fact, Balaam blesses them three times. And in Numbers chapter 24, verse 10, King Balak, his anger is burning against Balaam. And he says, I called you to curse my enemies, but behold, you have persisted in blessing them these three times. And in verse 12, Balaam the prophet says to Balak the king, Did I not tell you that did I not tell your messengers whom you had sent to me, saying, What the Lord speaks that I will speak? And then Balaam gives King Balak a warning that is mysterious and cryptic. In Numbers chapter 24, verse 17, Balaam shares these words. He says, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come forth from Jacob. A scepter shall rise from Israel and shall crush through the forehead of Moab. And then in verse 19, we see that one from Jacob shall have dominion. One from Jacob... Jacob, son of Isaac and Rebekah, father of the tribes of Israel, father of those two that we mentioned earlier, Zebulun and Naphtali. Jacob, who was a recipient of the promises made to his grandfather Abraham, he was not just a recipient, he was also a sign for those who would follow Jacob. What did the Lord tell Jacob's grandfather, Abraham, way back in Genesis 12? He said this, he said, The Lord says to Abraham, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. And I'll make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. One from Jacob will come to bring blessing. One from Jacob will come and he will have dominion. He will have rule. And one from Jacob, a star will shine over this one from Jacob who will rule and will shepherd his people and will be an atoning sacrifice for his people. Years later, 
after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king. In Matthew chapter 2, Magi, they arrive in Jerusalem. Magi, wise men who've been traveling from the east. And they ride into town, and they arrive asking a question. Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? Why would they ask this question? Well, they tell us. We saw his star in the east. We saw his star in the east, and we've come to worship him. A star in the east. A star from Jacob. A star from Israel. What does it mean and why does it matter? Why does it matter? The purpose and power of a prophecy is to point us back to God. And the purpose and power of a prophecy is seeing the prophecy fulfilled. And in Scripture, we, we see all that God has promised has come true. We can trust His Word and we can trust Him. God is for us. God is with us, Emmanuel. And in this season of Advent, in this season of expectation, it's time to think again about why Jesus came. Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, God for us. You see, we're not that much different than the nation of Israel. We, we are a people of gloom who walk in the darkness of sin. We are a people who are looking for hope. We are looking for light. Jesus, the light of the world, has come to blow the gloom and the darkness of sin away, and his light of salvation has dawned upon us so we can have eternal peace. Jesus, crushed for our iniquities, our sins, we're all sinners, and the Lord has to be allowed to deal with sin. Jesus, taking our sins to the cross, gave us his righteousness, the righteousness required for us to stand before a holy God. We need the righteousness of the Lord because we're all sinners. The price, the wage of our sin is death. But Paul has told us in Romans that the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus, by dying on the cross, paid the price of the wages of our sin. What has become a favorite verse of mine, Romans chapter 5, verse 8, that God showed us His great love by sending Jesus to, to die for us while we were still sinners. And if you and I can come to the place that we understand that as sinners we deserve death and that we need a Savior, and, and if we can step past our pride to trust in Jesus being the only one who could die for us and, and be restored to life, if we can confess our sin, our need for Him, if we trust in that, 
And if we have the belief, we have the faith that Jesus can pull all of this off, we can have a relationship of peace with God. God is for us. God is with us. Emmanuel.